listening to the Paul McGuire Report, wherever you are in the world, wherever you are on planet Earth. This is Paul McGuire. I want to talk to you about a tool, a technology, a benefit, or whatever you want to call it, that God, the Creator, has given to every single person, but the overwhelming majority of people have no idea how to use this benefit, this, let's call it a divine technology. Therefore, they work harder, they produce less, and it's a, it's a downward negative spiral. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to talk to you about is cutting-edge revelation, if you will, from the Word of God. And it should not be something, you know, there, there are some people in the Christian community, unfortunately, uh, they have a legitimate concern, don't get me wrong, <clears throat> because there is a, an amazing proliferation of false teachers, false prophets, false counterfeit revivals, etc., etc. So we do need to keep our spiritual guard up. We do need to uh, discern the spirits and so forth and so on. Absolutely, I'm not against that. But you see, it's like walking down a narrow uh, walking bridge over uh, <clears throat> a river, and there's just ropes on either side. Now, when you walk on this bridge, hiking bridge, if you're not careful, you could fall off to the right and smack your head on a rock and drown or whatever. <clears throat> or if you're not careful, you could fall off on the left-hand side and equally meet a tragic or very harmful fate. Now, so. It's important when we rightly divide the Word of God that we indeed do rightly divide the Word of God. That means we, we properly interpret its proper meaning using uh, all the theological laws of biblical interpretation. Now, when I say laws of biblical interpretation, I'm talking about biblical interpretation that is taught <clears throat> by men or women who, who believe that the Word of God is the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Okay, so having said that, there's two dangers. You can be overzealous and just like do a knee-jerk reaction, and anything you're not familiar with, you're going to spout out the words New Age, False Prophet, Kundalini Spirit, and we could go on and on and on. Now, that's fine for you to issue that kind of warning if you're accurate. But if you're not accurate, you're going to do yourself and many other people a lot of harm. Now, this is not something I just tiptoed into today. You know, I get criticized by people all over the world. I get praised by people all over the world. <clears throat> That's not why I do what I do. The people who criticize me, inevitably, and that's just sloppy research and there's no excuse for it, they don't even read what I say. So they're, so they're criticizing me based on a, a false assumption of what they think I'm teaching or saying, when in fact, the truth is, I never said anything like that. And that's probably the biggest problem. And they will be responsible uh, to God for any harm uh, that has happened to this ministry or any souls that were not saved because they were spouting forth confusion. So God presents us with the opportunity of a dynamic balance where to go straight down the center, so to speak, not falling off on the right-hand side, not falling off on the left-hand side, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, rightly divide the Word of God. So let me give you an example. 
I say a lot of things. I deliberately use very contemporary terms because I'm communicating to the people in the world today and to the people in America today. Notice that I'm not in, uh, communicating to the people of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. That's not my goal. It I, I'm thrilled that they're, they're listening. But my goal is to communicate in the language and the style of the people who are alive today. That's effective communication. Therefore, I'm going to use a lot of technological terms and cutting-edge scientific terms and things of that nature. So, for example, you'll hear me uh, talk about virtual reality, artificial reality, the multiverse, um, uh, synopsis. I can't even pronounce it. I'm not going to try. It's in my book, but I I'm notorious at stumbling over some words. But there are such a, a plethora of words that have come out of technology, microdosing. I mean, that, that's an odd thing for me to choose, but it actually isn't, because that's where the culture is. So the goal is to communicate to the culture and to do it accurately. So, uh, inevitably, what happens, people who are like salivating at the mouth know nothing about my biography, know nothing about the fact that I've written at least four or five books and hundreds of articles precisely on the subject of spiritual deception, the New Age movement, the occult, and the truth of biblical Christianity, counterfeit revival versus uh, an authentic biblical revival. So I'm an expert in the area that these people are criticizing me in. And not only am I an expert in that area, I lived through all of it on a first-hand experiential basis. I was in the New Agement and the occult for over like 15 or 20 years. Um, I experienced the, the Kundalini spirit, yoga, opening my chakras, mental telepathy, remote viewing. I majored in altered states of consciousness and filmmaking. But these people don't even take the time to know what my real bio is. So when I'm talking, I'm not talking out of my hat. I'm talking from decades of study in the Word of God and becoming an expert in the Word of God and through my experiences in life and research, becoming an expert in the differences between biblical Christianity and occult New Age deception. So when these people criticize me, I'm embarrassed for them. Because they're so filled with pride, and that's really what it's all about. They're so filled with pride that they will not even uh, offer up a critique that's accurate. Now, these people, because they don't do any homework, don't really have a foundation to stand on. I remember when I attended my first, uh, it's the big national, uh, international Christian bookselling convention. That's not the exact title, but, but that's what it is. It happens annually. And it used to be a huge event. <clears throat> uh, I remember uh, I had just had uh, a publisher pick up my second book on exposing the New Age movement called, I think it was called, no, it was called Evangelizing the New Age. And I had written a book on the New Age prior to that. And I had received uh, enormous interviews in like Charisma and other magazines. Now, of all things, and I don't think it was an accident, I had read his books, by the way. I think I read all of them. Um, there was a very uh, best-selling author named Dave Hunt, who really, his expertise was uh, rightly dividing the Word of God, comparing 
the Word of God with the New Age and the occults and things like that. That's what was his expertise. I I, I got to know him, but um, my publisher and his publisher arranged for me and Dave Hunt to have a debate live on the radio at this giant uh, Christian bookselling convention. And and he, he was a best-selling author. I was a new author. Uh, I was not that well-known. I mean, I did 700 Club and stuff like that. But I was just coming out of the gate, so to speak, as an author. So they wanted me to debate him because they knew uh, he showed no mercy. And that's just the kind of person I want to debate. Because it's not that I'm into cruelty. It's that I'm not into playing games. And not only that, despite the fact I didn't agree with everything he said, I agreed with a, a lot of what he said, and I had read his material. So we debated, and there was a big crowd, and it went nationally. Um, and, it, and my debate with Dave Hunt helped establish my career as a Christian author. And Dave Hunt was disarmed and, and kind of perplexed, because as we sat down, and he was very polite, very nice, as I tried to be, as he sat down preparing for the debate, and we started to debate live on the air, he was shocked to discover that even though I promoted certain positions he did not agree with, he was shocked to discover that I was an extremely well-read, intellectual, theologically self-trained, knew an enormous amount about history and culture and science and art and philosophy. So he wasn't used to this. He was used to, you know, the evangelical Christian celebrity minister or whatever, that, that they have no intellectual no biblical, no logical training. In other words, they're not thinkers, and therefore they're mediocre writers. So there was an instant respect between me and Dave Hunt right at the beginning, even though we didn't agree. Now, what it came down to, he was surprised to find out that I wasn't a caricature of, of what some people would call a charismatic author. I've never considered myself a charismatic author, even back then. I was simply saying, I think my subtitle was, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, which was simply, don't throw out the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just because there's a lot of wackos and lunatics abusing and misusing the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we agreed on that, and we agreed on a lot of other things. But his book did challenge me in certain ways, and so I studied even further, uh, because I defended a number of people uh, because I was new to to some of this, and I defended a number of people that today I, I would have to honestly tell you I could not have defended in my books. I, I didn't know at that time, and I should have, the full extent and the subtlety of their spiritual era. And so the debate really wasn't he won or I won. Dave wouldn't say he won. I, I didn't say I won. Ours was more of a, a, a really deep communication that was important. And so I believe both of us together were effective in communicating a uh, debate about God's Word. Our, our debate was ultimately not about I win, he wins. Now, I would have to say that in certain areas and categories, I did offer the better argument. And in certain areas and categories, he offered the better argument. But once, and then we became friends later on. 
And I had him on my show, the Paul McGuire show, the syndicated AM FM show, uh, many, many, many times. And these people are always quoting him to attack me, not knowing that, you know, Dave Hunt was on my, my radio show live, you know, like for 100 hours over 10 years, and that we had become friends and that we agreed about most things. So he did challenge me, though, to, to, to study some of the people that I was uh, defending. And I have to say, again, today, I would not have defended them. I, I will say I am not sure of their motive. Now, Dave believed their motive was wrong. And I would lean into thinking he was right. But I'm not prepared even today to, to judge their motives. But I certainly cannot defend their doctrine and some of the things they teach and they promoted and they taught. Because even a minimal study of God's Word makes it apparent that uh, some of these famous celebrity, charismatic, you know, television evangelist type people uh, were embracing spiritual era. And they were teaching, there's no question about it. I mean, you can't wiggle around it. They were teaching false doctrine. And the center of their false doctrine, as Dave pointed out, was the false doctrine of teaching people, Christians, that they can become gods, or teaching erroneously from the Bible that we can become gods. And that's a very serious thing. And so after many years of thinking about this and studying it, I would have to say, not only could I not endorse these men and women, uh, in my books or whatever, um, I would have to say that they are in spiritual era and they are not rightly dividing the Word of God. So Dave Hunt changed me, and I think to some degree I changed him. And I don't mean this in the sense of the Hegelian dialectic of synthesis, where you have a thesis, let's say Paul McGuire, and then on the other end you have a antithesis, which is Dave Hunt, and some unseen force is trying to merge us into the middle, which would be synthesis. That's not what I'm talking about. That's obviously not only New Age, it's communistic practice. Okay, so the goal then has always been for me to, after I've prayed and sought the Lord, sometimes for years, after I've read, researched, and studied thousands of books, that are both pro and con on, on countless subjects. My goal is to teach the Word of God in a way that is, number one, accurate, and number two, in a way that empowers and strengthens God's people in, in the spiritual battle that's raging before us. So let me give you another example. Um, you know, I, I will say this. I, I want to be a little bit more specific. Back then, there was the faith movement. Now, uh, I was sympathetic to selected and isolated uh, teachings. So, you're a critic, hear what I said accurately, and if you're going to quote it, quote it accurately. I said a selected and small group of teachings. I never embraced the entire thing. Let, let me give you an example. It was called, and rightfully so, derogatorily, uh, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it and a bunch of other stuff as a put-down. But the put-down contained uh, important truth in exposing the era they were promoting. Because they were promoting the false idea, the idolatrous idea, that Christians can run around, and uh, they trivialize the power of the Holy Spirit by 
and I'm a, you know, I talk about this in Power from on High. If people are promoting the power of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles, but the fruit of their ministry is largely people acting like escapees from a mental hospital, groaning and shrieking and everything else, I have a serious problem with that. And I, I can't support that. So blab it and grab it exposed the, the false teaching, and, and this is how it went. That if you have faith, whatever you ask Jesus for, he'll give it to you. Now, that is taken out of context. The Bible never teaches that. There's a qualifier. You leave out the qualifier, you're not rightly dividing the Word of God. The qualifier is that you have to, whatever you ask, it has to be, whatever you ask has to be according to the will of God and the Word of God. If you're asking God for something, he will answer that prayer if you're asking for it in faith, but the qualifier is you can't pray a self-centered prayer. The basis of your prayer has to be from agape love, and the basis of your prayer is that it has to <clears throat> be in alignment with the Word of God and with what Jesus Christ taught. Otherwise, you're just wasting God's time and your time. And then another derogatory term which exposed false teaching was, let's say it was blab and grab it, name it and claim it, and that's a, a, an erroneous interpretation of the Scripture where you can claim something in the name of Jesus and God will bring it to you like money or whatever. That is, again, taken out of context. The Bible does not teach name it and claim it unless you distort it. The Bible does teach that you have authority in Christ and you can pray for things and God will miraculously answer your prayers. But the qualifier, the condition is that whatever you ask for in Jesus' name has to be according to the will of God, has to be lined up to the Word of God. It is then and only then that God uh, will answer your prayer. And then there was this notion that the what I call them was the hyper-faith teachers and the hyper-faith movement. There was this non-biblical notion they promoted, which was that, um, you know, you can ask God for anything, and that if you're the richer you are, the bigger jets you have, the more mansions you have, that's evidence, according to them, and proof that you're a man or woman of faith and that you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God. Now, right then and there, that is a massive spiritual error. Not only that, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. As a general rule, beginning in Deuteronomy 28, and actually earlier than that, God says in his word that it is, is his will for his people to prosper, assuming they are walking in the ways of God, obedience, and that they're worshiping the Lord God only, and not false gods. So as a general rule, it's God's will to prosper his people, protect his people, heal his people, and defend his people. But if his people are idolatrous, worshiping idols, if his people are uh, uh, breaking God's word and violating God's word, if his people are being self-centered and hoarding wealth and and lusting, you know, I've seen television evangelists spend all their time bragging about how big uh, a jumbo jet they own. And and the bigger it is and the more luxurious it is, the more spiritual they are, they teach their followers. And, and that's false doctrine. And then they teach their fo- followers that if they give their money to this to that ministry, their ministry, then they'll have a gigantic mansion too. That's false doctrine. That's a false prophet. That's a false teacher. And we need 
to be firm in standing against that. That is not what the Bible teaches. Now, the Bible teaches God will perform miracles. God will prosper you. God will meet your needs. But it's according to his will. It's according to his will. It's not so you can brag and and show off your gigantic jet. In fact, if these guys promoting this false doctrine were even remotely honest with themselves, they would recognize that by strutting around in a mass media world uh, and driving these gigantic, gigantic jets, these super expensive limousines, owning multiple mansions, they would understand that, that that is a bad, bad, bad witness to the world. The world is repulsed, and it reinforces the world's perception that Christian evangelists are just a bunch of money grabbers. So it's important that we rightly divide the Word of God. Now, in my book, um, which is at the printer, and you can, once again, get it at a discount, because the price is going to go up, and I'll tell you why. Because the cost of printing and shipping has gone up substantially. But you can get it and other books at paulmcguire.us, my new book at the printer, Power From On High. You can get it at a financial discount if you pre-order it now, and it will be mailed to you very quickly. Now, in Power From On High, my purpose and goal, after seeking the Lord in intensive prayer and fasting and crying out to God and studying His Word and studying history, etc., etc., I, I do this regularly, but I devoted, I threw everything in it, and for three years, beginning a year before the coronavirus, and they're all through the coronavirus, I withdrew to a large degree from almost all public appearances, all media appearances, and I withdrew to seek the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, uh, show me, give me truth from your word, give me principles that will help your people win this spiritual battle at this critical time, and give me knowledge that I can pass on to your people. And that was the motive of my heart. And I believe God honored that. And he gave me supernatural knowledge and wisdom. And the Lord showed me two two areas that he wanted me, Paul McGuire, to focus on, to teach on, to promote, no matter what. And when I say that, that means this, no matter what. When I went, In the beginning of my career, I have done my best, whether preaching in a sermon or uh, writing books or teaching the Bible or whatever, since the beginning of the Lord calling me into the ministry and communications, I have made it a priority to attempt to radically obey what God is calling me to write about, speak about, teach about, and promote. I don't decide what I'm going to teach and write and speak about based on how many people uh, who are big-time leaders in ministry give me a round of applause. I never make a decision based on, let's call it, the applause factor. I attempt to do what God commands me to do, and, and forgive me for being blunt, I attempt to do what God is telling me to do, and to hell with the consequences. I mean it. Not that I don't care, but I don't care. Because it's, I, have, I could care less of, of this group of people or that group of people uh, decide they don't like me or whatever. And guess what? They change their mind constantly anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I, I attempt to obey the Lord. So the Lord, in this COVID 
battle, because it is a spiritual battle, the Lord said, I want you to teach again on the biblical teaching from the Bible in the book of Acts. I want you, Paul, to teach and minister to my people on power from on high, or the power of the Holy Spirit, or uh, being clothed with power from on high. And the Lord said, I want you to specifically use terms like power from on high and being clothed with power from on high. And then the Lord said, I want you to talk from a biblical, scientific, technological, and theologically sound manner on signs, wonders, miracles, and fighting the spiritual battle in both the invisible realm, but fighting the spiritual battle in the realm of physical, spiritual reality that utilizes knowledge, logic, history, reason, science, research, etc., etc. And so, with the book Power from on High at the printer now, uh, that's my goal. And then I just, then I, I made this decision years ago that I was going to follow Christ, and if everybody threw eggs at me or whatever, or denounced me falsely, or, or, uh, lied about me, then so be it. Because I'm not going to deviate from my assignment from God to teach the truth to be a man pleaser. We have churches all over America where the pastors, the elders, and uh, a, a, a disturbing percentage of the people who go to those churches, along with the denominations that sponsor those churches, they make their decisions upon what they're going to teach, preach, minister on. They look at polls, popularity polls. They ask themselves the question, what will make me popular in the eyes of my people? What can I do that will cause my church to numerically grow and make a lot of money? Yeah, they, they hire marketing firms and stuff. Now, I never do that. I think that thinking and praying to God is an abomination before the Lord because you're worshiping the God of mammon or money. Your goal is not to seek God and teach the Bible so you have leverage in manipulating God's people to give you money or teach them false doctrine so you'll have numerical growth. Your job is to teach precisely what God is commanding you to teach. So the Lord told me, Paul, because you see there's so much confusion right now where we are in history. There's confusion and disorientation and misunderstanding on the biblical teaching of power from on high. So it's like I have to start all over again. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Most of you don't. And I guarantee you this. Most of your friends have no idea what that term really means, power from on high. So the call that God has given me is to communicate and teach on power from on high in such a way that I effectively communicate and pass on literally. If my preaching and my teaching doesn't literally ignite the dunamis dynamite explosion of the Holy Spirit, if it doesn't cause an explosion of power from on high, and if that spiritual explosion of power from on high does not spread across America and spread across the world, then at least for the part that I'm responsible for, I have failed before God. And then the second thing is that I teach it in such a way that I make it accessible once again, that I make it understandable once again. And you do that by using contemporary terms like technological terms, scientific terms, internet terms, stuff like that, and that's what I do. And therefore, 
this, you know, people have a theology. And I thought about, think, I, I weighed and prayed and thought about whether I or not I was going to teach on this theology, power from on high and signs and wonders and a biblical third great awakening. I thought about it for 35 years or more. Yeah, 35 years or more. Because I was raised in an environment where these weren't issues. All Bible-believing evangelical churches, to one degree or another, taught the vital importance of the power of the Holy Spirit, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they, they agreed and disagreed as to what gifts were for today, and, and many believe that certain gifts uh, are, are, are for the past. But, but, they, but, but generally, they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and in miracles, and in the supernatural aspects of the Bible, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as the decades went by, the same saboteurs, the same secret agents, and that's what they were, because they were trained by the Soviet Union Communist Russian secret police, which at that time was known as the KGB. And the KGB, the Communist Secret Police, trained up a special unit of intellectual, hardcore Marxist and communist professors that the communist KGB taught and educated to topple America and ignite a, a communist revolution. And then those communist Marxist professors, known as the Frankfurt School, uh, moved to Frankfurt, Germany, established a school dedicated to the teaching of what was then called, in 1917, critical theory, where you hyper-critique the Bible until it's just in shreds. And therefore, everybody who attends your university of the Frankfurt School uh, walks away with no faith, no belief, and no spiritual power. And that's exactly what happened. You, you, by teaching the false doctrine of critical theory, you rendered the true Church of Jesus Christ uh, impotent. Okay? So the true Church of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question historically. Why was it so easy for Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, who were all heavy disciples of satanic and Luciferian secret societies, like Skull and Bones, like the Vril Society, like the Thule Society, uh, the Brilia uh, clairvoyance, uh, the Vril Force. Hitler was heavily involved in, in, in hardcore, kick out the jams, occultic supernatural power. Okay? That's what enabled him to conquer Germany and all these nations in Europe. He wasn't just relying on natural power, he was relying on supernatural, occultic power. Got it? So now, the devil arranged an environment which made the Church of Jesus Christ spiritually impotent, and now rising up before their eyes was a monster, Goliath, uh, called the Third Reich, Adolf Hitler, and all their secret occult societies, and their continual reliance on supernatural, satanic, and Luciferian power. So at the same time period that the Frankfurt School, Frankfurt School Marxists were criticizing away the truthfulness of God's word, and rendering God's people impotent, at the exact same time, the Nazis, the occultists, the Luciferians, the members of the swastika secret societies, they were doing the opposite. They were training 
the German soldiers, the German generals, the Third Reich, they were in overdrive training all these men how to utilize and access occultic, supernatural power, satanic power, and things like the occultic brill force. So when the church attempted to stand up against the horrors of Adolf Hitler and his occult power, the evangelical Bible-believing church in Germany was decimated, was slaughtered, was ripped to shreds because it was powerless. It had deserted and rejected the truthfulness of God's Word because it embraced a egregious spiritual deception known as critical theory. While, in contrast, the Nazis uh, turned up occult satanic power to full gear. See what happens? Ideas have consequences. So here we are in the future from Nazi Germany. We're in a new zone and environment where, in America, as we said the other day, the fastest growing religion is witchcraft or Wicca tied with atheism. Christianity is not up in the running for the fastest growing religion in America. Why? How could that possibly be? How could Christianity, with the supernatural power of Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead, how could it possibly? be beaten by Wiccan religion, witchcraft, and atheists. How could that possibly happen? It happened because once again, like in, in, with the Frankfurt School in 1917, once again, uh, Christians were indoctrinated by the Frankfurt School Marxists, and they were uh, taught critical theory, which criticizes the way the Bible, and then intended modifications of critical theory, such as critical race theory, and critical race theory is nothing more than hardcore communist Marxist theory, once called critical theory, modified to use the issue of race as an amplifier and an igniter of a communist and Marxist revolution in America that's happening right now. So right now, just like uh, critical theory uh, caused the evangelical Bible-believing church in Germany, to be swept into spiritual powerlessness and deception. Today, in our world, the church is swept up into spiritual deception and embracing spiritual deceptions like critical theory and critical race theory. So, at the present moment, you don't notice the supernatural body of Christ winning the greatest spiritual battle at this particular moment. And you need to wake up about that. And it's because we have collectively committed the same sin and spiritual error that the evangelical church did with the Frankfurt School back in Frankfurt, Germany in 1917. So we're now making the same mistake twice. The only way to, to detour and get off the course of implosion and destruction and brutal totalitarianism where electronic surveillance, mark of the beast technology, puts everybody under hyper-surveillance, and instead of the concentration camps that the Nazis built for the Jews, there will be a modified form of concentration camps and a modified form called re-education camps, where they will arrest and seize Bible-believing Christians and Jews from their homes in America at some point, unless the Church of Jesus Christ rises in supernatural power. Um, they will drag off Christians to the concentration camps, the re-education camps, where they will work, where they will be killed, where they will die, and I would imagine a certain percentage, if they've been properly brainwashed, will be released back into society. That's where we are now. Anybody who can't see it is deaf, dumb, and blind, and, and has never studied a history book. 
So God is giving us, and this is why I was crying out to God over and over again, an intense prayer, the most intense prayer of my entire life. For three years, I intensely prayed to the Lord, asking him, crying out to God, Lord, show me your word. Show me your teaching. Show me your power. Show me what I can teach your people that will make them victorious in this great spiritual battle. Lord, please spare your people and the American people from the devastation and the catastrophe that is coming upon us. And Lord, I humbly ask you to give me this knowledge, not so I can serve myself, so I can give your people the power and knowledge that you want them to have so they can be overcomers against Satan and the fallen angels in the last days. This is Paul McGuire. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Have you noticed? I have, because my research takes me far and wide to different churches, different denominations. I read extensively, blah, blah, blah. But have you noticed that the, the, what is considered the winning template for a church growth among the congregation and the pastors and the seminary professors and the denominational leaders, they all have a collective conception of the teaching that needs to be preached in order to have massive church growth. Okay? It's, it's done to a precise marketing formula. Make no mistake about it. And guess who the authors, the creators, and the engineers were for what has become known as the church growth movement, the seeker-friendly movement, uh, seeker-friendly style preaching. Guess if anyone would bother to study five minutes. Guess who the creators of that false doctrine, the seeker-friendly doctrine, are and were. They were the same men that established the Frankfurt School for the purpose of igniting a Marxist-Communist revolution in America through culture and, more, uh, most importantly, uh, religion. So it was the Frankfurt School communist Marxist professors who were the architects of the church growth movement. Now you can see why the results are so disastrous. Okay, so... When you go to churches everywhere, or if you see them on TV, there are all these, you know, they're pastors or whatever, they're, they're all trying to operate from the same template. They dress the same, they conspicuously flash their very large, latest and greatest cell phone in front of your face. Hey, use a cell phone, I don't care. They don't parade it around. Um, they wear a particular style of clothing. And most of all, their burning desire is not to please God. Because if it was, they would be preaching different content. Their burning desire is to win popularity, to be popular with the people, with the, the, the society, uh, with their congregation. Being popular and being relevant and hip is their, is their main goal. So, in order to do that, whether they admit this to themselves or not, they make a secret little deal. And by the way, all of us, including myself, are guilty before the Lord of making those secret little deals with God every once in a while. Don't tell me you've never done it, because we're all sinners saved by grace, and I know you've done it. We've all done it. And so what they do is, the deal that they cut is they, they agree to make their sermons and messages very watered down, very non-biblical, 
Don't talk about any controversial subjects like heaven and hell, the devil, Satan, the second coming, Armageddon, sin, repentance, and stuff like that. Don't talk about any of that. Only talk about stuff that's good for marketing, that will win the seeker. So that's the little deal they made with the devil. What they, what they said to the devil is, devil, I'm counting on you to prosper me financially and numerically with my seeker-friendly church, and I'm going to keep my part of the deal, devil. I'm going to preach the most watered-down gospel and Bible that I possibly can uh, so that I won't offend anybody, which, which means there's no radical salvations, repentances, so on and so forth. And obviously, you can't have a biblical great awakening or a biblical revival coming out of Bible content teaching. That's, that's all—it's just humanistic positive thinking and, and psychological motivational theories. Okay? So that's the deal they make. And unfortunately, that deal, the fruit of it, is it's destroying our nation. Because right now, as I've said many times, it's the title of one of my newer books, we are in the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. The only way we can win that battle and be victorious is to be clothed with power from the Holy Spirit and to teach the entirety of God's Word. Don't just cherry-pick the lovey-dovey verses. And if the church would do that in repentance first, God is, is just waiting to step in and turn the tide around on this spiritual battle where America will either be used by God as intended to be the launching pad of the last, a great last day's soul harvest and the launching pad of an authentic biblical revival and an authentic biblical third great awakening where you would preach the entirety of God's word. God wants to do this with everything in him. Now, let me read you something that, all, that the overwhelming majority of evangelicals will not touch this verse. In fact, they won't touch the entire book of Revelation, even though the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible where God specifically says that he's going to curse you and remove your name from the book of life if you refuse to teach the whole book of Revelation faithfully. Now, if you refuse to teach the entirety of the book of Revelation faithfully, God said he will remove your name out of the book of life. What does that mean? If your name is removed out of the book of life, you cannot be saved and you cannot be enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a very serious warning. And God only makes that warning regarding the book of Revelation. Another thing that you notice is in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, listen to what it says, King James Version. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is not preached, believe me. I know it's not preached, because I've, pre- <laughs> I've preached it in some of these churches, and you would have thought that I was running around naked. They were so embarrassed that I preached the book of Revelation, literally, that that they wanted to tar and feather me right there on the spot. They did. They wanted nothing to do with it. I see, I didn't know they had gone down this path of error. I really didn't. The last time I was there was like, I don't know, seven years ago when they were teaching the Word of God. Well, I didn't know they had gone into full-blown apostasy. I didn't know that, that you know, that they were 
they dive deep into spiritual era. So notice that in, in, in Revelation 21, and, and all evangelical Christian, Bible-believing Christian groups, do not bow before the lordship of Christ regarding this verse or this term. The warning from God to his people and ministers, the number one warning is that you're not supposed to be fear, fearful. Let's, let's say it again. The number one warning from God is that you're not supposed to be fearful. Another critical warning is you're not supposed to be a coward or filled with cowardice, a liar, immoral. But notice that in order of priority and emphasis, God is saying to his people and his leaders, he's warning them, do not be uh, fearful. Do not allow cowardice or being a coward to dominate you. Do not allow yourself to be engulfed in immorality. Now, going back to being a coward and being fearful, how would that occur on a mechanical level? I'll tell you how it happens. To the degree the average Christian is depleted of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to the degree the average Christian denomination and the average Christian pastor is depleted of the power of the Holy Spirit, it is to that degree that they are powerless. And when the Christian church is powerless, then automatically they go into a fearful mode. Automatically they go into a cowardice mode, and they're frightened, and they retreat, and they commit the same sins that the ten spies committed when God commanded them to go into the land of Canaan. And they came back with a fear-based perception of unbelief, whereas Joshua and Caleb Uh, invaded Canaan with a faith-based perception of belief and overcome and conquered the giants. This is what has to be done in America. Now, I mean, we are at the critical hour. When you look at my book, Power from One High, it's not an accident that on the very cover of the book, I placed a spontaneous picture of myself taken by somebody I I know. Uh, There's a picture of myself on the cover of the book, Power from One High. I'm standing right under the the almost circular little structure which sells tickets and gives out information in the at Grand Central Station. So I'm in this gigantic Grand Central Station. And I'm standing in front of this uh, information booth. And then there's a tall clock, very tall clock coming out of the back of the information booth and it's a clock, you know, that has a and that goes as time progresses. And the clock is basically exactly at midnight. So I'm standing right in front of the information booth. The clock way above me is right at midnight. And there just happens to be a, a, a giant uh, um, American flag. Okay? And I think they first put that whole thing up there. Well. No, it was timing, divine timing, that, that it was midnight. But the, the gigantic American flag was placed there, I believe, immediately after 9-1-1. So, that is a visual representation of what God called me to do. Prophetically, we're at the midnight hour. God wants to give us victory, and there's a lot more embedded in that picture. It's very interesting. My wife showed me something last night. I Because the book is now at the printer. And if you pre-order it now, you can get that book real quick. 
we have been releasing a lot of pictures of the front cover of the new book, Power from On High, the one I'm talking to you about with the, the clock at midnight in Grand Central Station. So pictures of that have appeared everywhere in social media and the Internet, especially we bombarded Christian Internet and media. And my wife said, says to me last night, she says, Paul, here, somebody's using your cover, or something to the effect of, she said to me, somebody, has, uh, some Christian has put something that looks very much like the cover of your book, Power From On High, on their, it was either their Instagram or Facebook account, I don't know. I said, that's weird, because why would they do that? And then it was, obviously, you learn as a writer and a communicator, when people plagiarize you, and I'm not sure people always are even aware that they're plagiarizing, by the way, so I'm not accusing somebody of plagiarism, because I think most often people see it and remember it in their subconscious and use it. I'm not saying that somebody's deliberately plagiarizing. And I'm, I could add more, but I'm not going to. So anyway, um, I look, and there is a very similar picture to my picture of Power From One Eye, taken or photoshopped from within Grand Central Station, and emphasizing the American flag, the clock, and this particular relatively young evangelist signs his name there. Well, you know, that's fine. It's free world, that's fine. I don't care. Let's just preach the gospel together. But the unfortunate thing is, and notice I'm deliberately not mentioning his name, the unfortunate thing, because I don't, I don't believe in taking hits at people, the unfortunate thing is um, that when I had my AMFM radio show, I would bend over backwards to help this particular middle-aged evangelist or whatever uh, pack out the local sports stadium for his crusades. I just figured, you know, we're brothers in Christ, and I need to step up in the plate and help him. So, you know, when his staff or whatever would call me, I would always make room and do everything I could for free to promote his crusade. But the first time his, his agency or whatever booked him, he, he, he didn't show up for the interview. And I had a huge program with a huge audience. It was the largest listened to Christian talk radio station in the nation, AM and FM, at the time. So I had a massive audience, okay? And so he has some third in charge take his place with no phone call to me or whatever, and I heavily promoted him. And, and I couldn't understand why until later on. I think, well, I, I found out later through things that he said publicly, and he didn't use my name specifically, but he said things publicly that were not true and derogatory. Uh, and I guess it's jealousy. I don't know, and I'm not telling you his name, so there's no false accusation. And then the next year came by, and I knew he was going to pull the same stunt. He would book, I mean, he considered himself too high and mighty to talk to me on the phone. Everybody talked to me on the phone. You name the Christian leader or the political leader, they all talked to me on the phone. So he, uh, again, didn't show up for the interview and had one of his assistants. And I, you know, for the Lord, aggressively promoted his crusade so that souls would get saved. He's saving souls is what it's about, not some petty rivalry, right? But I made a decision that the third time this happened, because I, I, I'd given him so many free hours of airtime promoting his crusades. And I continued, actually, I did continue to 
promote his crusades every year that he had them, whether or not he, he showed up or not, because it's about Jesus and saving souls. But I was surprised by a man who has such jealousy, apparent jealousy, and, and a sense of rivalry. Now, that's something that we need to, including me, we need to all guard ourselves, every one of us that are born again, that are in the supernatural body of Christ, we need to guard our hearts against jealousy, bitterness, envy, just like guarding ourselves against fear and being a coward. If he doesn't deal with that, and that's between him and his God, his ministry will never reach the fullness that God intended for it to if he's resisting the Holy Spirit in such significant ways. Now, that's true not only of him, of anybody in ministry, and it's obviously true of me. I have to guard my heart. In fact, even recounting this thing, I had to be careful that I didn't slip into a rivalry mode or a competitive mode or a jealousy mode, because you know what? In the eyes of eternity, that doesn't matter. The only thing matters is the souls that were saved, and did we effectively reach people and win people to Jesus Christ? That's what it's all about. That's what you serve Jesus, I serve Jesus. He doesn't give a you know what about our so called reputation and our so called fame. It's a laughing matter to him. We just want to be obedient and get the rewards in heaven. If you're going to collect your rewards down here on earth, you're setting yourself up for a lot of weeping and crying. Okay, so here we are in the greatest spiritual battle. Now I want to go into some technological facts that will give you, I believe, a literal revelation of what's happening in America and the world. So let's dive into it right now. I started to touch on this uh, not too many days ago. And, And this is the way the Lord can move in your life if you will ask him and you will develop the abilities that he's given you. First of all, quit arguing with God. You're commanded by God to be clothed with power from on high, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and and to walk in power from on high. You may not want to use that exact terminology, even though it's biblical, but you're still commanded to do everything in the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? And that's a deal breaker. So that's why I wrote the book, to, to, to... to, to impart that truth again. Because you see, I'm not trying to attack these guys in the seeker-friendly movement or whatever. They're trying to, they think that by following these Marxists, and they don't know they're Marxists because they're not well-read men. They think that they're going to build bigger churches and reach more people for Christ through a process of biblical dilution versus a process of being set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit and basing their ministry on the Word of God. So, um, I purposed in my heart to follow the Lord in this area. And let me give you some facts. But you you need to, whatever word you want to use is fine with me. You want to call it being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit, whatever. I, I deliberately chose the term power from on high to shake things up, not in a malicious way, but the church is in a spiritual slumber. The majority of the church is in a spiritual slumber And therefore, they're not even walking or acknowledging the power of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I felt the Lord kind of press into me and say, Paul, in a still small voice, Paul, I want you to mix things up a bit. 
I want you to shake the tree a bit because there's a lot of people in my kingdom that are asleep. I want to use you to shake them up so that you can impart this truth. Okay, so the Lord said to me, literally, when I was rereading the book of Acts on being clothed with power from on high, the Lord said to me, Paul, because I was prepared to use the term to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, Paul, I don't want you to use the softer term. I'm asking you, Paul, to specifically use the term being filled with power from on high and to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to use that term in order to shake things up so that I can pour out my spirit in a fresh way upon my church in America and around the world. So I obeyed the Lord. I know it will bring controversy and accusations that are not warranted, but, you know, so what? Okay, let's, let's, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the anointing that God puts on you, if you're willing to use your God-given mind, the Lord will give you all kinds of supernatural wisdom and understanding. So I want to share something that the Lord revealed to me about progression in our nation. And just think about it. Okay, right now we're in the world of COVID-19, variants, debates over the fallout of COVID-19, the alleged uh, accusations of damage to DNA, damage to the genetic code, self-assembling nanoparticles in the human body, all kinds of allegations and accusations being made. A lot of confusion. A lot of confusion on the whole issue of 5G, pandemics, epidemics, and the whole thing. Okay. Now, one of the accusations and allegations, and that's all I'm saying, I'm simply making an allegation and an accusation. I am not saying it's 100% factually true because I don't have all the data I need. But I want to introduce you to something that I think you need to think about. Before the uh, COVID epidemic exploded and the wrecking ball came down on America and the rest of the world, look at America as if you were in an aerial shot you know, like a a spy plane taking photographs and videos. Look down upon America, look down upon the world, and notice the development and emergence of certain specific technologies and sciences that are occurring at a very specific time period in our history. You need to jump on board with me on this. So, going back to the 2000s, Amazon Books began selling Uh, a whole number of books on the first very limited distribution internet social media devices. And so they would deliver the books to your home. Even though it was a small beginning, it shook up the book retailing world and it shook up retailing. Okay, so right about starting very in a seedling state in the 2000s, primarily driven by Amazon, we had the beginnings of a revolution of electronic, social media, internet retailing, where deliveries and pickups were made to people in their home. That caused a revolution in the way our society works. Now, then if we go back to the year 1972, cable TV starts to emerge. And by the way, in addition to being a film producer and an author and television commentator on networks and stuff, I was involved in a management, a public relations, marketing, and promotion effort with a number of 
powerful cable TV companies. And, and this is when, you know, this was in the, like the very early 70s. And then after that came the, the satellite TVs, like DISH and stuff. And then remember, there was another revolution, the VHS revolution. Where, remember, if maybe you don't remember. But instead of DVDs and thumb drives, everything was placed on, on it looked like an audio cassette player, but it was a videotape on a cassette called VHS. And you could watch movies, and unfortunately, that became the major... Unfortunately, it was not only the internet, it was not only VHS, it was not only Betamax, it was not only satellite, it was not only cable TV, but all of those technologies, communication technologies, were driven by the porn industry. But that's just a matter of economic fact. Okay, who invented the first VHS machine, or one of the first VHS machines, RCA? Then the DVD came around, and the DVD, as you know, looks like a small vinyl record, and the DVD will play movies or whatever in a much greater clarity and a much higher resolution. And the first DVD player and DVD system was invented by RCA in 1976. Now, notice the culture that these are seismic cultural changes are happening with the advent of these technologies. And first and foremost, on a sociological level, the accessibility to hardcore triple X porn to mainstream society, including teenagers and children, now there's an explosion, and it's not something hidden with lock and key. It's now gone mainstream. And what's made it going mainstream is all these technologies like DVD, VHS, satellite, cable, et cetera, et cetera. So this creates an acceleration of immorality that, that is pumped into the American consciousness, which produces results in terms of an escalation of divorces and everything else. Okay. If you go back to 1946, the Bell Company, you know, remember Ma Bell? And then through the 50s up into the 90s, high-end executives, I remember being on film studio lots, and the high-powered feature film uh, executives would come uh, onto the lot in their you know, high-end cars that all had the car telephone and the car antenna in them because it was prestige. Then in 1992, Nikoya came out with the first smartphone. Now, now that was a revolution. Then IBM comes out with the smartphone in 1994. And both IBM uh, and Nokia also had the flip-flop phones. And I had one of the first, I think it was a, it was a Verizon phone. I think it was made by Motorola or Nokia. But what I noticed is, and nobody talked about it, but I knew exactly what it was from the content of my books. When I opened the flip-flop phone, of my, my portable cell phone, uh, on the, the little TV screen, graphics came up, a music came up, and the words GPS came up, and then in smaller letters, the words Global Positioning Satellite came up. Now, nobody back then, and this is what, I guess, 1994, nobody back then had any clue what GPS or Global Positioning Satellite System meant. They didn't know what it meant. They didn't know that every second that cell phone was on or had power, it was sending a signal to a satellite tracking your every move. They didn't know that. 
I knew that. I knew that this was the beginning of the Electronic Surveillance Society. Why? Because I talked about it page after page in the books that I wrote and researched for going back to the 1990s. I knew about the GPS system, even though the public didn't. So when it spilled across my cell phone, I, 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 I locked onto it. Now, the European Union used GPS cell phones and GPS to track their population via satellite. Uh, the home personal computer, you know, the tower. Um, at first, we all plugged into the nightmare phone wire system, which was so bad, nobody even used the, the, the social media. And then around in 1977 to the 1980s, the cell phone, the laptop, it all went wireless and satellite, and exponentially the speed of downloading and uploading graphics and texts and calls and GPS and everything else, it was now moving comparatively at lightning speed. This caused a revolution in our social norms and social behavior, this technology. And then we had the Intel Mac, 1971. We had uh, the, uh, oh, just one Sony phones, uh, Spirit phones, the Samsung phones, the HD videos, high-definition videos. Um, and then if you go back, way, way back, you had the first black-and-white TVs, and then you had later on, maybe 10 years, 15 years later, the first color TVs. In fact, the first black and white TVs were Motorola and Admiral. And I saw my first color TV when I was visiting Radio City Music Hall in Manhattan. And, and the stupid TV was green, so I wasn't impressed. And then about 15 years later, or no, 15 years earlier, no, and later we have the color TVs from RCA and a whole bunch of other manufacturers. So. Technology changes society, politics, governance, and the economy, and it impacts Christianity. Okay, now let's take an aerial view of the timeline, because in the timeline there's a revelation. In the timeline there's a revelation, if you know how to look for it. So we have Amazon, not that long ago, I'd say approximately six years ago, um, you know, approximately six years ago, more or less, Amazon jump-started the buying and selling from home of all kinds of products, foods, TVs, clothing, everything. Amazon is now like sending a SpaceX rocket up into the sky. Amazon is making online retailing the norm. The new normal is you stay at home and buy your products and services on the internet through social media using things like Amazon and all the other companies. It was a revolution. Along with that revolution came online banking, like Pay PayPal, which Elon Musk was the co-developer of. That caused a revolution in online banking and online buying and purchasing. You no longer had to leave your house. Now listen to what I just said to you. It caused a revolution in online buying and selling, and you no longer had to physically leave your house what you ordered on computer or your cell phone would now be delivered to your doorstep. Right there, what I just said to you, put your finger on it, because that ignites one of the biggest revolutions in mankind's history. It was launched with the buying and selling of Amazon through electronic retailing. Now, notice 
the timetable. After buying and selling by Amazon, about four years goes by, and every major company in the United States of America is also conducting the majority of its retailing business on the internet, buying and selling. Stuff is delivered to people's doorsteps or it's picked up from their houses. So now the entire economy, not just Amazon, the entire economy is rocking and rolling and into electronic retailing, buying and selling from the privacy of their house four years later. Okay, now let's look at the time zone. There's a revelation in the time zone if you use the mind of Christ. Then relatively soon after that, you had improvement in the download-upload speeds of all kinds of cable channels and social media, et cetera, et cetera. But then they started talking, developing, and testing this about three to four years ago. The major multinational corporations all started to get into 5G, which 5G to date is the most powerful mechanism of, of electromagnetic frequency uh, communication in the world. And the critical thing to understand is the time zone when it emerged. 5G emerged four to five years ago. Notice that in the calendar, in the time zone, because there's a revelation in the time zone. This is Paul McGuire. We'll be back in a moment. Once again, notice the time zone. Pay, pay attention to the calendar years and the calendar dates and the development of technology and what's happening in current events. Lock into it. Ratchet up your perception and quit walking around in a sleep state. So 5G. 5G is a revolution. Why? Because it now 5G is so powerful that it operates in the electromagnetic frequency range of the kill EM, the military kill weapon, the death ray. You got it? All you have to do is take ordinary communications 5G technology and turn it up an itsy-bitsy bit, and it becomes a death ray, where people feel like they've been set on fire and they run for their lives. It's very powerful. It can be weaponized. It can cause disease. It can break down immune systems. And then there's many, many positive things that are offered society. So 5G, besides all the blah, 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 didn't really start to come on board until last year. And every day that we speak, 5G is expanding with the towers, with the dangers, with the benefits. 5G is going everywhere. Notice the zone. Now, let's look at the time zone. The critical massive change, because it's the greatest event, negative event that has happened to mankind in the history of the world, and that's the release of the COVID-19 virus. All of a sudden, that is released. But a year or six months before COVID-19 uh, became a pandemic, Rockefeller, Bill Gates, and others, about six months before it became an epidemic, they were doing scientific exercises on COVID-19, on 5G, and on nanotechnology and digital currency, just six months before um, COVID-19 explodes. Notice the time frame, the time zone. So, look what happens. We have all of these new technologies, but notice very specifically 
that beginning in the 1970s, actually beginning in the 1947s, beginning in that time period up to the present moment, noticed that conspicuously revolutionary electronics communications technology emerges mysteriously just in time before it's needed due to a major catastrophe or revolution in America or global society. Okay, so COVID-19, the variants, <clears throat> vaccinations, no vaccines, the whole deal. People are terrified of getting uh, the, the pandemic. The so-called experts like Fauci and whatever change their mind every other day. They're saying, wear the mask, don't wear the mask. They're saying, socially isolate, don't socially isolate, on and on and on. So they're hammering the message to the American public, isolate yourself socially, be in your house alone so you don't get the COVID, okay? But isn't it interesting, and then this isolation is forced by law, but isn't it interesting before the ultra demand for isolation comes about, pre-isolation technologies in the form of Amazon and all the multinational corporations going into wireless electronic retailing where people buy or sell totally from the isolation of their home, and it's the product or service they buy is delivered to their home or picked up from their home. So the technology, the internet, the social media, the Amazon, the other corporations, the technology provides the power to, to create a society where people are going to live alone in isolation. Is that a coincidence? Only if you're an idiot. Then we look at the time zone again, and you see other technologies. Why would 5G just materialize out of seemingly nowhere, to the public at least, about three years ago? Isn't that odd? Because we needed, with all this online comics, all online communication and movies, all this online stuff, our society, America, desperately needed the highest speed communications technology available, which is 5G. And so 5G mysteriously appears right before isolation comes. So just in time, mysteriously, 5G arrives to save us, depending upon your perspective, right before isolation, mass formation, and everything else. Now. If you're using your God-given awareness, and that's the purpose of today's Paul McGuire report, <clears throat> God wants you, I believe with all my heart, that God wants you to not only have power from on high, but to utilize the mind of Christ, to learn how to raise up your God-given perception and to perceive time zones, the release of technologies, current events, etc., etc. If you do that with intensity and commitment, you will begin to see a map. A picture, um, the puzzle pieces won't be just thrown all over the floor. You will begin to see a very clear picture of the future plans for our society, what's happening in the present, and what's going to happen in the future. It's all before us if you just have your eyes open to the timing of the release of technology, when new technology comes, so on and so forth into the future. Okay. We're fighting the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. You and I must reach win souls to Christ in the last day's soul harvest. We must turn the tide of the spiritual battle and have an authentic biblical and spiritual revival and authentic biblical uh, third great awakening. That's the deadness of the dunamis, the dynamite explosion of authentic and biblical power from on high. 
flows with power from on high. That is in that's spiritual power, which contains in its DNA the revolution, the spiritual, law-abiding, peaceful, loving revolution that God de- desires to topple the entrenched strongholds of darkness. And you and I have been called for t- such a time as this to be faithful stewards and to go into spiritual battle and ignite. God's calling us to ignite the spiritual revolution, the biblical third great awakening, by being clothed with power from on high. And finally, God is calling us to win the battle, law-abiding, peaceful way, to win the battle in the real physical realm. Now you know what your assignment is, and simply say to the Lord, out loud or quietly, say it out loud, say, Lord, I commit myself to fulfilling your call for my life. And Lord, right now, right now, I ask for an infilling of your supernatural power so that I have all the supernatural power I need to be victorious and win the battle you're calling me to win. So I want you to visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. You need to order at a discount power from on high now. It's at the printer. You get a discount if you order it today, and it will be rushed to your house in just a number of weeks. Also, the other books are being offered as at a discount. All of the books are, they build on one another, and they teach all of these things and related things. And they will equip you for your personal life. They will equip you for our life as Christians in America. We need to take a stand. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Visit paulmcguire.us. And I need you, I'm speaking from the heart, I need you to stand with me in this spiritual battle. I need you to pray for me. I need you to ask God what to donate or contribute financially. I need you to spread our links far and wide. And I need you to engage in intercessory prayer warfare for me, my family, and everybody associated with this ministry. Together, that's you and me. Together, we can turn the tide and win the battle. But we're going to have to respond to God and take a stand. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. 